Greetings and welcome to the Mount Rushmore podcast. My name is Jeff and I'm joined as always by my good friends Richard. Hello. And Michael. Howdy. Richard and Michael debate and deliberate the most ubiquitous aspects of many different topics. And this week, they are going to be joining forces in a fierce competition against an interloper who is actually quite an expert. He's a journalist, and he has a wonderful website uh, called worstgig.com. But really, this is a site that's related to a book called Worst Gig. So I'm going to let him introduce the site and the book, and I'm going to give him a hearty welcome. Please welcome John Nickham. How are you doing, John? Oh, great to hear from you, Jeff. This is yeah. going to be fun. Oh, yeah, Always man. Fun talking about terrible things, terrible <laughs> It is. You know, it, this isn't our most... Uh, <laughs> This isn't our best holiday programming choice, I would say. <laughs> the topic is the Mount Rushmore of the worst gigs. Tell us what's at worstgig.com, John Nickham. Sure. Uh, it's, uh, I've been collecting stories from my interviews with famous musicians since uh, pretty much the late 90s, where I asked them the simple question, what's the worst show you've ever played? Uh, and this is a collection, the website and the book, uh, of their worst gigs. And, you know, for some people, a worst gig can be fan-related, it can be weather-related, it can be violence-related, sickness-related, who knows? Um, but uh, I've been cataloging these for quite a while, and I think I've got a pretty good uh, collection of truly awful experiences. Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, I have perused the website, and I'm going to order the book. And you know what? That's what makes this a holiday episode is because it's our gift guide. The Mount Rushmore gift guide uh, contains one item, the book or the worst gig, which is... What's funny is it always sells really well around December. Is that it's, right? Oh, yeah. It's, I, I track the sales every week and it's, it's one of those, they call it a perennial, you know, where you can, this, it's, it's not really a dated topic. It's mm -hmm. something that everybody can relate to every year. Hey, that's cool. So uh, one can go to the website, worstgig.com. And uh, from there, you can launch off and go uh, to the social media handles. But uh, heck, you might as well just go to the button there on amazon.com or Barnes and Noble or, or Books a Million or all these places where you can buy that book and gift it and get it and all those things. So uh, promo portion over. Well, no, we're going to do it again at the end. But promo portion uh, done for now. And we'll move on into the actual uh, game so, uh, Michael and Richard, I think our guest is going to go first. John, what's your first choice of the four you'll choose for the Mount Rushmore of the worst gig? Oh, gosh. You know, narrowing this down was very tricky. Okay. And um, I'm going to start with one by uh, guitarist Joe Satriani. Are you guys familiar Satch. with him? Sure. Satch. Yeah. Yes. Shred. <laughs> well, uh, Joe Satriani, uh, back in the day, was playing a show in Malaysia. And it was one of those big festival stadium shows with Jethro Tull and Sugar Ray and Toto, a very odd selection of bands. Um, and for whatever reason, it kept running later and later. So he went to sleep and about four in the morning, he gets uh, awoken, or is it awakened? One of the two. And uh, they said, you're going on. So he gets up there, starts playing, and then he starts going into his song, uh, Satch Boogie. And all of a sudden, the Malaysian army takes the stage <laughs> uh, with machine guns. Wow. Pointing machine guns at everybody and says, you need to stop playing now or we are going to shoot. Apparently there was some kind of coup happening and they were on stage either to make sure it didn't happen or make sure it did happen. One of the two, he wasn't entirely sure. 
So he uh, basically handed his guitar to his tech and uh, grabbed his suitcase and they immediately drove to the airport and got out of the country. Wow. So you, you heard this firsthand from Joe himself. Yeah, all these stories are me personally interviewing them. Wow. Did, did his face turn white? Does he, did he go off into this distant place of horror well, or was it you know, just I all mean, in a day's work? You know, as a, as a former musician, we've, everybody has bad gigs, but there's a bad gig and there's a gig in a foreign country at a language you don't speak where an army comes on stage with machine guns and says, we'll kill <laughs> and to me, that that's a whole next level. Yeah. I guess trying to follow for white snake is, is hard, but like, <laughs> they don't have machine guns pointed at you. Wow. That's intense. Um, do you, do you personally have any bad gig stories? And if so, is that something we can hear a little bit? Oh later? yeah. Jen? Okay. Oh, I, I, I'll be heading back. It's included in the book, but I've got a, a particularly good bad story. Okay. All right. We'll uh, entice our audience to stay uh, and hang in there throughout the whole podcast. So, um, so guys, uh, Michael Richard, who's going to go? I'm going to go first. And uh, I have I have zero interviews with uh, famous musicians, so this is all basically based off of Wikipedia as per usual. Um, no, our first choice is the 1983 Us Festival. Oh, um, I don't know if you guys are were Jeff. You may be old enough to rem remember this. <laughs> I was just watching some of it on the cable channel that is uh, Night Flight now is replaying oh, right. everything. So yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I saw some Us Festival. So it started in 1982. Steve Wozniak, yeah, the uh, founder of Apple. Um, basically had this idea to spend millions of dollars to get all of his favorite bands on stage at uh, Glen Helen Pavilion down here in, in Southern California. And it was a huge flop in its own way. It didn't, it didn't make money, but that didn't stop him from wanting to do the whole thing again in 1983. Um, they, they broke it into three different days. The first day was New Wave, headlined by The Clash. Second day was... Uh, heavy Metal, headlined by Van Halen. And the third day was Rock, headlined by David Bowie. Now, as a side note, and this becomes interesting, it, this becomes important in the story. Uh, Van Halen was paid a million dollars, which was a, some sort of record deal at the time, to come play this one gig. Um, Woes decides that he wants David Bowie to play, and he is adamant about this, even though David Bowie is also going to cost a million dollars. Fine, they go out and get him. Van Halen finds out about this. They have some sort of favored nations clause in their contract that says they have to be the highest paid performer at the gig. So they put their foot down and say, no, we're only, you have to pay us another $500,000 or else we're not going to play. He pays for that. Jeez. So this is, this is all happening while the Clash have been paid $500,000 for the gig. They find out about this, and the clash being the clash, they decide to make a political statement about it <laughs> and um, hold a press conference where they basically demand that these big-name artists give a per per percentage of their money to charity. Um, whether or not this actually happened, kind of wow. hard, hard to say. So yeah. the clash, and this, is, this winds up becoming Mick Jones's last show with the clash. Mm-hmm. Um, and they get on stage and they do a very hostile show. They're not, <laughs> they're not talking to each other. Joe Strummer is, is antagonizing the crowd 
and not in that kind of like fun punk rock sort of antagonizing way in like a, I really don't want to be here and I'm cashing my paycheck sort of way. Yeah. And they start complaining about all the commercialism of the of the gig and you know how much money that these artists were making. So at some point near the end of the set on the multimedia screen behind them, the crew went and put a copy of the $500,000 check that they received for playing <laughs> the gig and just put it up there for everybody to see. Oh, that's hilarious. Needless to say, there was not an encore that night. And uh, the clash, as we knew it, broke up right up immediately afterward. Wow. Not the uh, uh, London working stiffs that uh, they were all kind of posturing as... I imagine the Clash could also probably summon the Malaysian army if they needed to, uh, um, <laughs> if not Sandinistas. So yeah, they have the fatigues. So fatigue, yeah. Well, what is what a I think was it US Festival? I forget what what it was. Which was the one that uh, um, I don't think Elton John remembers even performing at it. And was that the one where Phil Collins played once in London and then once? That there? was Live Aid. That was Live Aid. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I remember as a kid seeing this all happen, a kid, I don't know, I was junior in high school, seeing it all happen and then thinking it felt like a Pepsi Clear ad, the whole thing, just <laughs> just so 80s, barfing all over our TV. Yeah, that was, Van Halen was, uh, I think some of their, like their writer notoriously has the uh, no brown M&Ms clause within it, that if you can believe David, David Lee Roth having a justification for something as... Um, diva-esque as that but actually saying um that you know they they have these huge uh um they have a huge front line so if anything goes wrong with all these trusses and marshall stacks or i don't know if eddie was pv powered stacks or whatever um they're gonna die because of all the infrastructure that they have that so david lee roth was saying we want detail-oriented people to uh to put our shows on. So that's why we say no brown M&Ms because if they're not paying attention to the M&Ms, they're not paying attention to the fact that we need a stage that can support 50 tons of frontline gear. So Oh, by uh, the by the way, Mr. Professional David Lee Roth showed up 3 hours late to the gig. <laughs> <laughs> Bombed to the point where he could barely stand and slurred wow. his way through the show. So let's let's wow. keep that in mind let's when keep we're that talking about brown M&Ms. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Crazy from the heat. Okay. All right, uh so John Nickham, what's your second choice? My second choice, um, this one's kind of sad, but I wanted to go oh, with good. this one anyway. Uh, I interviewed Graham Wait, Nash. For, sad like four white men podcasting sad? Uh, <laughs> okay, you not so much sad as it is <laughs> Pathetic. expected. Okay, okay yeah, expected. All right, I'm sorry to interrupt you. You interviewed Graham Nash? How awesome is that? Yeah, it was it was really cool. His uh, his book and my book came out the same week, and his book kept my book out of the number one spot in uh, oh. Amazon. Oh, uh, wow. So I got to number two in the U.S., but I got to number one in Canada, so that was fun. Oh, cool. Uh, but I asked him, what's the worst gig he ever played? Mm -hmm. um, and he had a story that really stuck struck with me. But um, they were doing a tour in the 80s. And, of course, you know, he's part of Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. And at the time... Um, David Crosby was having an incre incredible drug problem with cocaine and other substances. So for this tour, in order to get him to play these shows with them, because it was a sold out, you know, reunion type tour, 
Uh, they built a small room off to the side of the stage every night that they played so he could go and get high between songs. Oh, wow. Um, and one of the things that Graham told me was that he felt really conflicted because music was such a great part of David's life that he didn't want to take that away with from him. But by doing these sold out shows, he was getting more money to get deeper into drugs. Oh, so his, uh, his quote to me was, when I asked him, what's the worst gig you ever played? He said, my answer to that question is not a show, but a tour. Every show was like that, moment by moment. Every mm. show was the worst we ever played. Wow. And what, uh, around what era? Because they, uh, you know, they've been- That was in... early 80s. Okay. Like 82, I think is when that tour is was. Is it a CN... CSN or CSNY, do you know? I don't think uh, Young was with them at that Okay, point. okay. Wow, that's rough. And to see somebody, um, so David Crosby is kind of notoriously the kind of glue, the harmonic glue that held the birds and Crosby, Stills, and Nash together. And to see this guy almost like the Belushi of the SNL mm -hmm. <laughs> ensemble, just the thing that's the thing that he loves and is was put on this planet to do is just killing him. So what a what a horrible thing for Graham to yes, witness. Most, most of these stories are are just either terrifying or hilarious or whatever, but for whatever reason, there was an emotional resonance to that story that I just had to include it on the Mount Rushmore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, that definitely goes deeper than, um, you know, uh, a whether they are celebrities and whether they're somewhat coddled and whether they dwell in a uh, kind of a world that uh, many of us wish we could be in, being a rock star can be a hard, very hard uh, gig. And to also have to see a person who's a brother um, who get more mired in substance uh, challenges. God, that must be devastating. That's horrible. Way to bring it down. All right. Yeah. So, we'll bring it back up. Don't <laughs> worry. Okay, cool. Uh, Michael and Richard. Oh, not yet. Oh, not yet. Oh. Um, I, going uh, down. When going started, down. When Richard and I were talking about, <laughs> um, we weren't sure if this was like um, personal experiences at a concert or just like in general uh, catastrophe. So I have kind of a personal experience and that is um, not seeing cat power in 2006, not seeing cat power was something that happened to a lot of people, especially in kind of like the mid two thousands when um, she kind of was kind of engaged in um, not only like had like a substance abuse issue, but also uh just like this tremendous stage fright and you know she's this tremendous singer songwriter but at the same time she's a very kind of um fragile person and fragile performer and um uh, i saw her a couple years earlier uh in seattle and i don't remember any sort of those things happening but you just started hearing like as she was like touring again or as i was going to go see her it started, you started hearing the things of like, oh, this, she canceled or she kind of walks off the stage often and either mid song sometimes, or just leaves, you know, shows are kind of half finished. And, uh, you know, talking about Graham Nash as someone that um, obviously had his own demons. I, I think rock stars are like these very, you know, um, talented people, but they're very fragile and i can't think of like 
cat power without thinking of like the same sort of like, oh, she's so she has she's such a beautiful musician, but like uh, or, you know, uh, writes such beautiful songs and has such a beautiful voice. But then she's also like uh, just super uh, challenged on stage. Yeah. Oh, that's disappointing. How did you feel as an audience member? Uh, did you know not, how, <laughs> not <this> seeing her? <laughs> well, I remember the... being like, I remember thinking like, oh, of course, of course, she's going to cancel another show. Of course, it's going to, you know, uh, we're going to be disappointed. But, you know, uh, it. I, I don't think I understood as I do now that it was built on like a stage fright and built on like an alcoholism or other substance issues, you know? Mm hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's really fascinating. Kind of uh, definitely a worse gig from an audience standpoint. And then at that moment, I can imagine it's the worst gig for that person too, because they, they feel the pressure to entertain. They uh, don't have the resources as a, an artist on the road doesn't to be near family, to be near uh, maybe a counselor or some, some way to make life normal. So you can start to get back to a place of normal. So, oh, that's rotten. And at that point, so it's not like she's a super big rock star at that point. Um, so it's not like if if it's uh, David Crosby, you know, he's got this huge legacy and career behind him. She's still making her name. Yeah, yeah. Okay, wow. All right. So, Duders, uh, there is an awesome thing you can do. You can go to worstgig.com. And then there you can visit the Facebook, which is facebook.com worstgig. And you can go out and uh, chase down the Twitter, which is at Worst Gig. And John, what happens on all those uh, um, places out on social media? Um, I don't know that it's anything particularly interesting happens on the social media. Okay, good enough. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I, I put out news stories, you know, uh, quite often and tweet out when someone mentions, uh, you know, the Worst Gig, et cetera. I found, like I found one uh, recently, Tom Morello, the guitarist for Rage, Rage. oh yeah, he just did a this master's class series, and in his booklet, he has a section about bad gigs, and he has a whole thing about worst gig, and gives a shout out to me and says, you know, check out the book, check out the site. So every now and then, you know, you're still still getting love from all these musicians who's heard about this and appreciate the site. Well, that's cool. Tom, Tom is like the Uber man shift rock too, so it's pretty He's amazing so guy. Yeah. Well, that's super cool. So, um, you know, you can give the gift of the, of the worst. You can give the worst gift this year. <laughs> give your friends the worst gift by going to uh, uh, Amazon or any other bookseller. Uh, actually, support a local bookseller if you can. They're doing doing uh, uh, haven't have as much of a rough time as everybody else is, and uh, buying that uh, book and giving it out to your friend who's either a fan of. Uh, music or just a fan of uh entertainment stories uh, the, the the when things go wrong so uh, you could also do us a solid and go to uh uh the place where you got this podcast and go back and dig through our past episodes and download rate and review previous episodes we'd love for you to also share them we have social media sites too twitter instagram facebook and something you can do there is uh, you could suggest future topics. So that would be super cool. We'd love to to uh, jump out of our kind of brains and the things that we choose to do and jump into your brain and hear what we suggest because previous people who have done that have ended up being on the show. You don't have to, but uh, you could 
who knows it's zoom we can find you we can talk to you so there's that and we're going to go to our second half with uh john nickham author of worst gig telling us his third choice for the worst gig ever you ready lay it on us all right uh this one uh is not a downer this one is uh in my opinion, hilarious. I think um, one of the things that is particularly appalling when you're playing a show is the level in which people aren't paying attention to you. So uh, <laughs> this is one of those stories that I love. Um, this is by the band Cowboy Junkies, which was uh, nice. from uh, Toronto. And uh, they were kind of known as this very uh, quiet, kind of uh, introspective, elegant band. Well, they got signed in 1989. And um, they were going to, they were considered by RCA to be one of these big signings. So they were flown out to, uh, this meeting that they had in Marbella, Spain, where all the record executives would go up to the top of this mountain and, uh, where there was this like uh, private bull ring and a dining area and they'd showcase some of the bands. Uh, so they, uh, they take, uh, the band out here. And by this point, all the record executives have been there for hours and they can't leave because you have to be bussed up to this mountain and the buses kind of drop you off and, and, you know, don't return until the event's over. So not only have they been, been there for a conference and having speeches and eating um, they've been drinking all day. So all of them are completely hammered. Well, the, uh, the head of the label uh, goes up to Margot Timmons, who's the lead singer for uh, Cowboy Junkies and says, I really want you to sing this song, Mining for Gold, to start out with. Well, this is an acapella song, meaning she's just going to go out and sing it by herself with no musical accompaniment. Uh, she's really nervous about it. She's really shy. Keep in mind, their record's not even out yet. They're nobodies at this point. But she decides to go out there and sing this thing. So she gets out there, and uh, the way she described it is, everybody is flat out drunk, or they're talking, or they're literally asleep. In fact, there's a guy uh, sitting right in front of her who is open mouth snoring, and his snoring is as loud as her singing voice at this point. So she's trying to, to power through this gig, and it's just falling apart. No one's paying attention. And so she decides, I've got to, I've got to do something to make this thing worse. I'm not going to, um, you know, have my career torpedoed in front of their label head, right? So uh, she focuses on the very back room. She sees this guy, the one guy in the room who's paying attention. So she just starts singing to him. And she's like, he's got a really big head. And so I'm focusing on his head. And then the more she sings to him, the more it comes into focus. And she realizes, hey, I know that guy. That's Gene Simmons of Kiss. <laughs> does have a really big head. <laughs> yes. And he's the only one there paying attention, but she powers through the, the gig. And um, afterwards, he comes up to her and she's kind of complaining. And and uh, he goes, you know what? I know that gig. That's a bad gig. I was there with you, kid. And so it, it made it better for her. Wow. <laughs> Is that the first Nice Guy Gene Simmons song, a uh, story you've ever heard? <laughs> I, I have only heard uh, stories that involve... Um, how much money he is uh, involved with uh, oh. and uh, obsessed with. Oh. He is the type of guy, you know, cross my palms with silver. You yeah. know, you, 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 he wants to get paid for everything they do. 
Um, so it was nice to hear that he just was supporting a fellow musician. Yeah, that's super cool. The empathy that uh, uh, one artist has for another uh, and, and the ability to identify with that uh, rough, rough situation. <laughs> I, yeah. I, as a as part-time stand-up comic, we tend to have the opposite. It's like uh, if you see somebody going down, you join in the heckling of that person. <laughs> you you pick up a rock and pelt them uh, with all all of the other Shirley Jackson uh, uh, people. So, uh, what were you gonna say, Richard? I was gonna say that whole story just sounds like the travails of being the opening act, like times a thousand. Oh yeah, <laughs> basically. Yeah, yeah. So so rough, but uh, uh. That's a fab. That's really interesting. I can't imagine they just seem so introspective in such a kind of a twee kind of group that just doesn't seem like like you you want to be ACDC in that story. You don't want to be the <laughs> cowboy junkie. So you want um, a Marshall Stack in that story. Yeah, yeah, you totally yeah. do. <laughs> um, okay, uh, uh, what do you got, Richard Michael? All right, so for our third choice, and John, when you mentioned Graham Nash. Um, I thought that we would have a duplicate pick here because my third pick is the Altamont Festival from 1969. Oh, wow. um, and Crosby, Stills, and Nash were at the gig mm-hmm. or, or were one of the bands that were featured. I'm not going to talk too much about the Rolling Stones and the death of Meredith Hunter. That's been covered. There's a freaking movie that essentially is about it. Um I would like to talk about what one of the worst things that could happen to you at a gig, which is being knocked unconscious at your own gig, which is what happened to poor, Mar- poor Marty Ballin of Jefferson Airplane. Uh, they were one of the first bands that were part of the uh, part of the festival. And uh, the Rolling Stones had famously hired Hell's Angels to act as security for the festival and paid them in beer which they proceeded to drink copious amounts of before the show even started. So by the time that they were supposed to be doing security, they were good and liquored up along with whatever else was going on. And uh, there's a, at some point during the beginning of the Jefferson airplane uh, performance, there's a scuffle. Marty Balin goes in there to try and figure out, try to break it up. Hell's Angel just turns around and cold cocks him, knocks him out cold. Wow. That's a bad gig. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, so they have to, they, they, I think they get him kind of up and upright, but he's sort of done for the rest of the show. And Paul Cantor is the guitar player. And I think the one of the leads, the lead songwriter for Jefferson Airplane is basically, so gets up there and, and, and says to the crowd. So just in case you're wondering, the Hells Angels just knocked out our lead singer. So that's nice. <laughs> And oh, wow. almost almost gets into a fight with the Hell's Angels uh, himself. Later on, you mentioned uh, Graham Nash, John. Uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash are playing a gig. And Stephen Stills is playing guitar and suddenly realizes that he is being stabbed multiple times in the leg by a drunk Hell's Angel who has sharpened a bicycle spoke and just thought it would be funny to start stabbing the guitar player. Man. So, again, the lesson... The, I, I noticed that both of my choices were festival gigs mm-hmm. that seems like that's a running thing i could have talked about woodstock the original woodstock could have talked about the attempted reboot of woodstock mudstock uh, mudstock exactly you know don't play a festival show it's a bad idea <laughs> yeah. Just bad bad things happen when you play a festival especially mm-hmm. one that's security is hell's angels mm-hmm 
Yeah, that is the fox guarding the hen house. That's uh, yeah. Try try to try to prevent any trouble from happening. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, those are the guys that you want on your uh-huh. side if you want to keep well, keep things calm. What is it about festivals? Is they don't they happen in often improvised venues? They uh, are uh, um, days long. Sometimes the crowd has ample time to get intoxicated and rowdy. Um, it doesn't. Is, is those are all mitigating factors. Is there something else you can think of, uh, um, Richard? Yeah, I think that, you know, a a performance venue is sort of a hermetically sealed yeah. place. And that's why musicians have writers mm-hmm. is because they have uh, things that need to happen a certain way. And, you know, there's an expectation that when they show up to the, they, they will show up hopefully, hopefully if they're not Van Halen, at this time, and this all will be set up for them, and this is what they need to be able to do their job. And that just goes all out the window, it seems, with, with the majority of festivals. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, the, the planning is scattershot. The ability to be able to stage manage seems to go out the window. And it just seems to create an environment of chaos. Yeah. I, I would add one other reason that, that these things seem to invite... Uh, controversy which is when you're buying a ticket to see a band that you want to see you're you know you're on their side but the problem with these festivals is you're buying a ticket to a whole bunch of bands you may not want to see also uh so you've got a a, typically a mix of the wrong crowd also with a bunch of these bands ah okay yeah you you you're there for air supply. They're there for Alice Cooper. And you're like, oh, what do I do? Yeah, mm. I love that festival. <laughs> I love that festival. Uh, the triple sponsored by AAA. Yeah, the uh, uh, John. Um, I don't want to end this conversation without knowing your worst gig, and I think this might be the time to say it since we're about to hit your fourth choice. So, um, uh, or a bad yeah, gig story. So I can. You want me to do my my. Personal story, of course. Yeah, lay, lay it on us, yeah. All right, I was in a band called uh, Easter Day, which was also the last name of our lead singer, our songwriter. Yeah, and... my sister dated him for a little while. Oh, really? A hot minute, yeah. Interesting. Greg, Greg Easter Day or something, Scott Easter, Scott Easter Day. Yes. Okay, yeah. Okay, uh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, this is in the mid-90s in the alternative heyday, and uh, we were playing a show in Wichita, which, as anyone from Kansas can tell you, you know, what, what are the two towns that everybody hates in Kansas? Wichita or Topeka. So we didn't want to go to Wichita, but we were playing a a venue called the Aviator. Uh, This huge cavernous X airplane hangar that they turned into a club. Uh, And when we got there, we counted a total of 18 people, but you know, Hey, whatever. Uh, Not the least amount of people I've I've seen at a show before. So we just soldiered on. So um, we're playing a song. And for whatever reason, I was playing fretless bass in this band. My bass stops working. And what I realize is uh, it has what's called active electronics, which means a battery powers the pickups. And uh, the battery went out, which is like very unusual. Uh, These things, you change them once every three years or whatever. So I'm like, okay, hey, just play this one song we had called Autumn, which had kind of a longer um, intro. And I'll sit down on the stage and I'll replace the battery within this two minute window. I felt like, yeah, I can do this. So I sit down on the stage and I hear this kind of crunch sound, but don't think too much of it. And I get the battery 
fixed. And I get back up to the microphone and stand there playing. And so we're doing the song. And the other singer, her name was Elaine, starts staring at me. And she's staring at my butt. And I'm thinking, (laughs) why are you staring at my butt? And she kind of points. And my, my blue jeans are completely red. Because when I'd sat down on the stage, I'd actually sat on a broken bottle. Oh, dear. And it stabbed straight through into an artery. Oh, God. <clears throat> so <laughs> it w- won't stop bleeding. And, and so Scott's like, oh, we're going to take a break. Uh, so we go into the bathroom and um, we're stuffing paper towels into my pants. And I'm telling you, man, it's not stopping. Okay. And for whatever reason, I don't remember a whole lot more of the show other than we played it. We're done with the gig and we were driving back to Kansas City. And uh, we had taken two cars and I was riding in Scott's uh, front seat of his car. And we put all these towels down because I had been bleeding. And I remember, uh, you know, three, four hours later, whatever, we get back to Kansas City and I step out. And again, I'm kind of woozy at this point anyway, because I've clearly lost a lot of blood. Um, But I'm, you know, youngish and don't know any better. And we get out and we take the towels down and my blood had completely bled through and it covered his seat. And I swear to you, it had, it had formed into the pattern of airplane wings. Oh, God. Oh, God. So that's the show I got at, at At the Aviator. At the Aviator. Wow. Poetic justice. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, were there, um, at, for every worst gig, was there ever a gig that should have been bad but was awesome. Like, Oh my God, these few people are, are really love us or oh, all the time. Yeah, That's yeah. I, I end the, uh, the book with the chapter. It's all good, which is people who tell their worst gig stories that it turns to be into kind of a defining moment for them, a positive moment. Um, you know, you can, some of the best shows are ones that start terrible that you turn into greatness. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember seeing this one band. Um, oh, gosh, can I remember their name? I'm blanking on them. Right now, oh, Vendetta Red was their name, Vendetta Red. They played uh, at a venue um, in Lawrence and they were touring with two other bands and for whatever reason, their lead singer, his voice had completely gone. So the other bands um, would leap in at points during the show where he just couldn't do it and they would finish the song or help the song or bolster it and it became this really fun kind of crowd thing, you know what I mean? And for you know, all these shows I've seen, for some reason, I always remember that one as, as one of the most impressive to me that they just kind of found a way to make it work. Oh, that's cool. I thought there was a, um, I don't know if it was a story from Semisonic or Dan Wilson or somebody in your book. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Jacob Schlichter, I think, of, of Semisonic. Yeah. Drummer for Semisonic. Drummer for Semisonic and, and sometimes keyboard player at the same time mm-hmm. was... Uh, also authored a book that, or at least an essay on how you, people think that being a touring band is a profitable, enjoyable thing, but he did break down the economics of what an advance is. And that's an incredible book too. Really. Yeah. Tell oh, me about it. Rock and roll stars. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it seems like there's the world of, of uh, music and entertainment is something that people often observe the, the, the highs and the peaks and the, the well-paid people. And then there's these other people who, yes, they are categorically rock stars, but they are um, really kind of indentured, <laughs> in, in indentured you, you servitude. More and more into debt. 
uh, because, you know, he kind of pointed out is, you know, even in the 90s that there was this, you know, basically a, a version of payola that they got rid of in the 60s and 70s. Um, but it was the same type of thing where you paid different stations, et cetera, to get your music on it. Yeah. And it comes right out of the band's, you know, funds. And the band, bands typically don't even know what's happened. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so you actually have uh, a, you shared a personal story. So now would you please share your final worst gig story? Yes. And everybody asked me, you know, what's, what's really the best story in the, in the book. And for me, it's a story by Ian Mackay, the uh, founder of the bands Fugazi and Minor Threat. Um, most of these stories, uh, or a either an in-person interview or a phone conversation, you know, kind of a one-shot. This one, Ian and I spoke, uh, I think, six or seven times on the phone, and I'd recorded it each time because he wanted to make sure that this story was right. Uh, so the, the version in the book is kind of cobbled together of his kind of perfect telling of it. But Fugazi, are you guys familiar with Fugazi and Emakai and all oh, that? Oh, sure, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We've talked about him before on the show, so yeah. Excellent. Um, well, you know, he's really one of the, the most DIY musicians of all time, you know, owns Discord records, et cetera. Well, they were playing um, in Europe in 1990, kind of at the height of Fugazidom, and they were playing a show at the University of Warsaw, in Poland. And as part of the show, they were staying at essentially a dorm on campus. So um, during the, you know, night of the show earlier, uh, Ian decides he's going to take a nap. Well, while he's taking a nap, um, some skinheads had showed up at the venue to buy tickets and they were turned away. And they were not happy with this. So they decided they were going to, you know, uh, protest. So they got together a few of their buddies, and by a few I mean nearing a hundred, and they decided to march on the campus and find the band and uh, discuss the fact that they wouldn't be attending the show. So uh, Ian gets woken up uh, by these uh, this Polish student, and of course no one in their band speaks Polish, and most of the people there were speaking in some form of broken English, and saying, you know, they're coming, they're coming, and it's like, what, what's happening? Well, there is a jackbooted army of uh, skinheads who are marching through campus, breaking out windows, um, uh, and basically just attacking anyone they see, and they're targeting the band. So the band is put in this position where they've got to get out, but their van is parked there and everything they own, all their gear, et cetera. And these guys aren't rich by any means are, uh, is in that van. So they had to navigate as this army of skinheads is descending, um, them escaping and getting the van out. So they would, some of them would be running up uh, towards the street and as a lookout, then they'd drive the van with the lights up and then run up another street. Um, at one point, his brother had actually gotten uh, punched in the face by one of the skinheads and said almost knocked him through a, a plate glass window. But eventually, they, uh, they got out to the point where they could get back to the gig. And so the, concert, the promoter is, is saying, so are you even going to play? And they're like, well, we're here to play. So they decide they're going to play this gig. And as you would expect, some skinheads show up to the gig, and it's a question of, what do we do now? We don't want the same thing to happen. Um, 
with more skinheads showing up at the gig because at this point the uh, the Polish like riot police have uh, entered the university to kind of break up this whole melee. Anyway, they decide let the guys in, and as they do, they're scanning their IDs, uh, the skinheads that come in, and they use them later to do a, a class action suit against all of them. It turned out. Oh. <laughs> So to me, that is a crazy, scary gig. You're taking a nap and you wake up and it's people uh, chanting in a language you understand saying, essentially, get out now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what a nightmare. Yeah. Oh, what a nightmare. The story in the book, it's, it's, it's really the way he explains it. He goes into great detail. It's, a, it's an mm-hmm. awesome. Oh, I got to get it. If I was Ian McKay and, and the, the promoter had said, so are you even playing the gig? That would have been my... My out to go. Nope. Yeah. Not a chance. If it was anybody but Ian McKay, they probably would have bailed. If it was Joe Satriani, he would have gotten on the plane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's so fun, at least as the website uh, depicts, there are so many different types of uh, um, entertainment uh, professionals who you've been interviewing for this. Uh, you know, just the sampler uh, Blue Man Group. Bell and Sebastian, George Winston, you know, when a uh, Wyndham Hill guy, um, Marcellus. yeah, Winton Marcellus. That's so cool. Amy, man. Um, <clears throat> I think, uh, sometimes we think bad gigs happen to, uh, um, hardcore, you know, r- rock and rollers and things like that have happened to everybody. Um, okay. So, um, uh, Michael and Richard. Well, I, I guess, uh, I'm really going to bring it down cause, um, we're going to talk about the, um, the, stationed uh the 2003 great white um fire uh, at the station nightclub which just seemed i mean obviously um it was one of the worst gigs for so many people that wasn't something that just probably could have been prevented but just so many things went wrong to turn it into uh just this horrible tragedy from um the pyrotechnics being used improperly to people not quite believing what they were seeing to people all exiting from the um trying to get out of the like one exit like when they came the place where they came in to um just everything involved in it from it being overcrowded there's so many different aspects that you know if one or two things could have been changed maybe it wouldn't have been so bad but I, i guess that's what you know when a, a disaster or a tragedy isn't just like one one thing it's everything going wrong at once and you know the the manager's decision to use just to start it off like the pyrotechnics on literally the first song they were playing that um you know some fiberglass um backing material starts to catch fire and this noxious smoke starts to um fill the overcrowded nightclub which has more people than it should to um bouncers not letting people out of like the uh stage uh door for the that was for the band and like i remember seeing this back in the day and just thinking god this is so awful it's so different than other huge tragedies like um i was thinking about what it's like, you know, just that feeling of being in like a crush of people. One of the reasons why, like, I've never gone into like a mosh pit, why I've never like thought to, I, I got to be in there with just this mass of people 
this is exactly what this is like everything that could go wrong, but then you're in an even smaller space. And I think that, I don't know, it's just, it, Richard, Richard warned me before, before we were going to start recording. He's like, well, let's put yours on at the very end. <laughs> so we don't bring everything down right at the beginning. And, um, I don't know, you know, uh, so many people lost their lives and, um, so many people went to jail because of it. And, um, it's, it's just horrible. Yeah. Just so everybody listeners, Michael knows the difference between worst bad gig and tragedy. Um, yeah. so, so it's absolutely, I, I think from the, uh, not just the artists, but the venue and all those people where we, you, th- you know, you know, that, the uh, entertainment industry and the music industry are, can be challenging and at times completely bankrupt of any good intent but most people go into it with the idea that they're going to um, make people's lives better with entertainment somehow <laughs> and, and to have the op much much the opposite happen it just must be awful for those people involved just horrifying I, I I too think that like I think it was one of those things that happened so fast that it seems like the the flames that kind of engulfed the the nightclub happened uh, within like a couple of minutes. And that is just, you know, for, it's just not enough time to react to anything. And I think it was just reaction and panic. And, you know, unfortunately so many people died. Oh yeah. So sad. I, uh, you know, I, it's, I, I was thinking about this when Michael brought it up to me and it seems like any times there's a concert tragedy, whether that, that suddenly there's a reaction within the industry of, Oh, we need to make sure this doesn't happen again. And maybe that specific thing doesn't happen again, but it feels like that then something else gets ignored. So whether it's the who in Cincinnati where it was festival seating and we need to make sure that doesn't happen again, or, you know, with the station fire with, you know, I I remember it being a big deal of make sure you going to gigs, they would make announcements before the gig a little bit after that, make sure you know where all the exits are. And it's not like that was the first big fire at a rock concert, or not a rock concert, but at a uh, musical performance. You know, John Davidson was uh, involved in a terrible fire, and I think it was Kentucky back in the 70s, where a lot of people passed away, unfortunately. And so it just feels like the industry says that it wants to learn its lesson about safety, but I ain't buying it. Yeah. I just, it just doesn't seem like that, that, that the rubber's really meeting the road. Mm-hmm. Whenever the PNL uh, for that event determines, you know, if you cut a corner here, then everybody's actually going to make money. Then, then the corner is going to get cut. Or, yeah, or, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, hey. Um, uh, also, also, Jeff, listen, yeah. I, I know that in every case that we have a, a, an expert guest on here that we're we're going down. So I was taking everybody down with us. Oh, that's perfect. Michael. Very smart. <laughs> very smart. Um, well, Michael is not incorrect in that the odds are very uh, often stacked in the favor of our guest because they are the nominal expert coming in. And uh, Michael and Richard are kind of journeymen. They deal with this uh, uh, whole podcast thing, topic to topic, week to week. Well, this week ain't no different. Uh, Mr. Nickham came in and suitably trounced our our guys. He kind of jammed on the, um, it's kind of like getting dunked on four topics in a row, you guys. Uh, uh, You, John, chose uh, 
King of Shred, uh, Joe Satriani, uh, in a, uh, a dalliance with the Malaysian army. <laughs> a very kind of sad story about uh, Graham uh, Nash Singh, his musical brother, uh, David Crosby, um, fall deeper into his uh, um, troubles with every show. Uh, the Timmons family and their uh, um, record industry showcase um, and how how this rarely happens, but Gene Simmons saves the day <laughs> on that one. And his personal story, uh, being in the band Easter Day and bleeding out on stage in Wichita, that was rough. Um, and then obviously the Ian McKay, uh, Fugazi Minor Threat story. So those are all, you would have heard little uh, hammer sound effects. Those are all going on the Mount Rushmore of worst gigs. Um, John... <laughs> You know, oh. Jeff, it didn't even it didn't feel like we were like um, opening bands to John today. It felt like we were oh, yeah. the people in the parking lot handing out like cassettes of yeah. our work from yeah. the trunk. You were kind of parking cars. I feel like if this part, if you're in the parking lot, <laughs> you're waving. We orange. were the fa- we were the fans from heavy metal parking lot. You totally. <laughs> oh, <laughs> who we were. You were the one we selling were. bootleg merchandise. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Have you seen the fall up? It was like there's like Neil Diamond parking lot. Um, I've seen there, that there's a few of them. I yeah, yeah. they're so funny. Um, so, dudes, the, uh, thank you so much for doing this cool topic. John Nickham, uh, you have uh, many hats that you wear. You're currently writing uh, journalism for uh, local outlets. Uh, tell, tell our listeners where else they can find your work. Uh, you can find my work uh, pretty much every week or two in the Kansas City Star. I do cover stories on entertainment, film, music, et cetera. Uh, and I also uh, teach and write at the University of Kansas in Lawrence, Kansas. Right on, cool. So uh, I'm gonna implore everybody one more time to go to worstgig.com and you'll get a sorbet, not a sorbet, you'll get a, um, a, a mousse-bouche. You're gonna get an appetizer of stories and then you can uh, do yourself a favor or give a gift to a, a friend by going out and uh, getting a worst gig, the book, which is available for all fine books are sold. So John Nickham, it was great to connect with you once again, sir. Fun times guys. Yeah. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. yeah um, this has been the Mount Rushmore of worst gigs ever. I, as always, am Jeff. I'm Richard. I'm Michael. 